0: Welcome to the South Elkhorn Christian Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the weekly messages. For bulletin material, reflection guides, and other resources, visit SouthElkhornCC.org. Well, I want to thank you for those of you who have uh, already reached out and uh, shared with me that you're praying for me and lifting me up. I am so grateful to be in a community of faith that prays for one another, that loves one another, that is willing to enter into courageous conversation together and talk about what really matters in real life. I am grateful for you. Uh, for those of you who might just be tuning in or for those of you who are listening to this message on the podcast following, uh, following this morning's worship service, I want to mention again, I just want to name again that the scripture story I'm about to read depicts death by suicide. And the, and the message that God has laid on my heart is one that engages the messy, complex, difficult, tragic reality of suicide that has, if we're honest, I suspect, impacted all of us in some way, shape, or form. I also want to mention this morning that, um, again, that if you experience big emotions and want to talk following the service, that Felito Alderondo, elder professional psychologist, will be here, uh, and I'll make myself available to chat with you and would welcome you reaching out at any time to process what you hear and um, continue this courageous conversation past uh, this moment of monologue where I'm the only one speaking. And also want to name that um, if you are in a place of deep crisis, if you're concerned about yourself or about a loved one, uh, someone you know, I also want to lift up for you uh, a crisis hotline. Uh, there's uh, this hotline is um, uh, in the video description for those of you who are tuning in by live stream, and I want to share it with you for those of you who may may need to know this number. It's 1-800-273-TALK one eight hundred two 273 8255 There are trained professionals who want to listen and want to help resource you and be a help to you. So if you are in crisis, do want you to know that there is help available. I also want you to know this morning that I think we are missing a resurrection story. This is the third week of Easter, and as I mentioned at the very beginning of Easter, and as I've mentioned since, that with God, there's always a bigger story. And I think we might have missed a few resurrection stories. I know we're missing at least one. Resurrection story. If you'll recall last week, uh, when uh, when I read from John's Gospel, uh, talked about Jesus appearing to the disciples who were locked in the upper room, afraid and huddled together. Um, Jesus appears to them, and Jesus speaks peace upon them, and gives them His own Spirit, and then shows up again for Thomas, and makes his makes himself available to Thomas, lets Thomas touch his wounds, and his scars. And then at the end of that reading, there's this uh, important thing that, that I didn't touch on last week, and it says that there were many signs and wonders that are not included in this collection of stories that could have been written down but weren't, but those that were recorded were there so that we might believe in God's bigger story and have life abundant and life eternal. I like to imagine that the risen Christ who showed up for Thomas may have also shown up for each of the disciples. And so there are resurrection stories that perhaps we aren't privy to or missing. But there's one resurrection story that I am convinced is missing, and that I'm convinced it's the job of the church to tell and to bear witness to and to trust as part of God's bigger story. So I want to invite you into the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 26. We'll be reading Matthew 26, 69 through Matthew 27, verse 5. And I want to point out that uh, there's some context here that matters. And part of this story you may be aware of, the story of Peter. And part of this story you may not be aware of, the story of Judas. I want to invite you into this story, trusting the deeper way of Christ's love and the message that the Spirit has for us this morning. By way of context, you need to know that as we step into this story, that that just before this story, Jesus is on trial with the high priest. And just before Jesus is on trial with the high priest, he's arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And just before he's arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying with his disciples in the Garden. And there the disciples do what the disciples continuously do throughout the gospel accounts. They fall asleep. They don't quite get it. They don't quite understand. They don't do what they need to do, given who Jesus is and what it means for him to be the Christ. They fall asleep on the job. And before that moment, Jesus is with the disciples in the upper room. And in that place, Jesus is gathered not with some of the disciples, but with all of his closest disciples, including Judas, including Peter. In fact, in in Matthew's account, we read that, that Jesus says, the one who will dip his hand in my cup, who shares my cup, Who is sitting next to me is the one who will betray me. In other words, Jesus sat down next to Judas. And there in the upper room, Jesus also, also deals with the fact that Peter denies that he'll deny Jesus. There in the upper room, Jesus is gathered with his betrayer and his denier and all the disciples who will abandon him and who consistently don't get it. He's gathered with all of them and he gives them himself. This is my body, broken for you. This is my blood in the new covenant. These emblems represent what I'm all about, and they include you. Indeed, in, uh, in John's gospel in the upper room, we read that Jesus loved his disciples till the end. He loved them thoroughly. And what do we read that Jesus does? He gets on his hands and knees, and he washes the feet of his disciples, all of them, Peter and Judas, I want to invite you to lean into the deeper way of Christ's love as we read this difficult and hard text from the Gospel of Matthew. I invite you to follow along with your hearts and your minds as I read. Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. Peter had followed along from a distance as Jesus was on trial before the high priest. He f- was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean but he denied it before all of them saying, I don't know what you're talking about. So he went out to the porch, maybe to get away from this accusation and the shame he was beginning to feel. And another servant girl saw him. And she said to the bystanders long, loud enough that Peter could, everyone could hear her. This man was with Judas of Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, only this time with an oath, explicitly betraying the teaching of Jesus earlier in Matthew, not to swear by oaths. And he said, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you are also one of them for your accent betrays you. You must be one of those guys with Jesus and his movement, those Galileans, those people who aren't from the city, we can tell by your accent. Then, again betraying the very teaching of Jesus, he began to curse, and again he swore an oath, I do not know the man. At that moment, the cock crowed. Then Peter remembered what Jesus had said, Before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out, and he wept bitterly. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus in order to bring about his death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he repented. He repented and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. He said, I have sinned. I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. In other words, you fulfilled your purpose to us. You were but a tool in our plan. We have no more need of you. Go deal with it yourself. Throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, he departed, I imagine in great mental anguish and emotional pain and he went out and hanged himself. As hard as it is for me to say it, and as tragic as this story is, I trust Christ's deeper way of love when I share with you the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, perhaps you know the story of Peter. Perhaps you know that Peter, who was outside weeping bitterly, feeling alone and such great shame, perhaps you know that wasn't the end of his story. Perhaps you know that not only would Christ appear to the disciples in the upper room as we read in in John's gospel, but also there's this curious resurrection account that happens at the end of John's gospel. This moment when, when Jesus is on, when the risen Christ is on this broken record, this curious moment, you see what happens is the, the disciples are all out fishing and a figure appears on the beach and they figure out that it's Jesus, the risen Christ, and they, they come ashore quickly and Jesus has prepared a fire that they might bring in their catch and enjoy a nice fish breakfast on the beach in the morning. And then there's this personal exchange between Jesus and Peter, the risen Christ, and the denier. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, of course I do. In a way that I never knew how before, now that you are the risen Christ, that you've appeared to me. I can imagine in Peter's heart, oh, I do. And I do in a new and amazing and beautiful way. Of course I love you. And curiously, Jesus says, feed my lambs. And we might expect the, the story to end there, but it doesn't. And Jesus says again, Peter, do you love me? And I can sense Peter's perhaps annoyance. Well, I, did you not hear what I just said? Yeah, of course I love you, Jesus. I, I, yes. And Jesus says, tend my lambs. And then a third time, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And at this point, Jesus is like, listen, I know you're the risen Christ, but this is getting annoying. I've said this once before. I'll say, yeah, of course, I love you. Did you not hear me before? And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And perhaps at that moment, in the same way that when the cock crowed, Peter realized that something of great significance had happened, that connected to the story of Jesus, perhaps in that moment he realized that something of great significance had happened that connected to the story of Jesus, that the risen Christ was restoring him, a threefold restoration for the threefold denial and betrayal. And that the same risen Christ not only restored him and whatever shame and regret and remorse he was feeling, but also gave him a purpose. Feed my sheep, tend my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my lambs. These are all invitations to be the leader who Jesus had called him to be, who Jesus had believed him to be, who Jesus had empowered and equipped him to be. Despite all of his failings and failures, mistakes and mess-ups, Jesus restored him not only emotionally and spiritually, but to the very calling that Christ had for him, gave him purpose. And Peter's story would unfold as an influential leader in the life of, of the early church. Perhaps you knew that story about Peter. Maybe you didn't know the story of Judas or what I believe is the resurrection that, story that didn't happen, that could have happened, that would have happened. And that it's the job of the church to proclaim and testify to. You see, if we pay attention to who Jesus is throughout the gospel accounts, if we pay attention to who Jesus is in the upper room, if we pay attention to the risen Christ and the way that he returned to his disciples, not to shame them and scorn them and condemn them, but instead to love them and forgive them and offer them mercy and God's bigger story, there's a new chapter. You're here with a purpose and a mission. If we pay attention to Jesus and the risen Christ to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, then I suspect we might see that the risen Christ was yearning and longing to appear to Judas too. Wanted to restore him. Wanted to forgive him and love him and show him that that God's got a bigger story that includes him. In fact, I think that the church lost a powerful witness to the inclusive and transforming love of God when it lost Judas and I think there was good in Judas. That it's easy to write off Judas the betrayer, but we see this that we see this person who repented, who was conflicted, who felt such shame and remorse that he gave in to this overwhelming emotional pain and mental anguish. I think there's so much more. There's a bigger story to Judas, as there's always a bigger story with God. I've been influenced by the testimony of a, of a woman in California who uh, recently lo- lost her husband who died by suicide. She was sharing her story. He was a pastor, had been struggling with mental illness, despair and depression, and had been seeking help and counseling and been making great progress, had returned to work and to ministry, was even preaching on mental illness and the gospel when suddenly and unexpectedly attempted suicide and eventually succumbed to his, his injuries and died. And his wife grief-stricken and, and broken as one might be when they when we lose a loved one so she's done a lot of learning and a lot of growing and a lot of figuring things out about the reality of suicide which touches all of us about the fact that so many of us may not say it but we may even harbor our own suicidal thoughts anyone under great mental anguish and great emotional pain might have suicidal thoughts it's far more common than we realize. She said there are three misconceptions, there are three stories we might tell ourselves as a society and as individuals that turn out not to be true. And She wanted to make sure that the person who was interviewing her knew what those were so that others might hear and I want to share them with you as well. The first is this. The first is that, that the way we die does not determine God's love for us. That the way we die does not determine God's love for us. We read in Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. That nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. If you are grieving a loved one who has died by suicide, I want you to know that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, that your loved one is a loved one. And the grief and the pain and the suffering that you have mourning their death is the reality of love that exists and remains? She said. She also wanted uh, to point out. She wanted to make sure that we knew that suicide is not an act of selfishness. As if somehow we are making the, the, the people who die by suicide are making sel- are making uh, rational decisions that are calculating these things that are that are choosing a selfish way out. That instead, what we need to realize is that most people who commit suicide, maybe everyone who dies by suicide, is not making a choice, but is overcome by a pain they can't seem to escape and feels that perhaps the only way out is death. And she, she offers this, this way of talking about suicide that can be helpful for us in a culture and a society that does not want to talk about suicide. She says, I, I use the term The phrase death by suicide, die by suicide. I don't say commit suicide as if somehow this was a decision of a rational person fully calculating what to do. That death by suicide, dying by suicide indicates the kind of mental illness and mental anguish that subverts any kind of rational decision decision making we might make and opens us to compassion and understanding in a far more beautiful and important way. And so if you're like me and it's hard to, to even know how to talk about suicide, perhaps that can be a helpful a helpful tool. So some of the stories we tell ourselves are untrue and unhelpful. If the church hasn't always been incredibly helpful, has been a source of condemnation and scorn and contributed to the shame that has us not talking about it. And what I've learned as a parent, what I've learned as a parent is that when we don't talk about something we send the subtle message the silent message that it's bad and wrong and it doesn't create an environment of safety for people to reach out and to get help and for us to be present with each other in our suffering and our pain and to recognize how much we share in common and to overcome the isolation that so often happens indeed i think we see in the story of judas someone who is just torn by regret and remorse and who was looking to the religious authorities to the religious institution to offer him compassion and forgiveness offer him anything to join him in, in, in repentance and realizing we've done the wrong thing and instead is cast away to be isolated and alone and under that great pain and that anguish saw no way out This wife and widow who shares her grief and loss of her husband also says this. She says the other story we tell our, that we might tell ourselves, especially those who are who are grappling with these thoughts and who are who are dealing with suicidal suicidal thoughts, is that the world would be better without us. Perhaps our family would be better off without us. And she says that's just never true. And so I echo her words when I say that you are loved more than you even possibly know. The world needs you. Your family needs you. The church needs you. And God wants to tell a bigger and more beautiful story on the other side of the pain that you are carrying, the very real and very hard pain that you are carrying. It is never true that the world is better off. I don't think the early church was better off because we lost Judas. I think we lost one of the most powerful, powerful testimonies to God's inclusive, Inclusive and transforming love. Indeed, we have a glimpse of the stories that might have been able to be told through Judas's transformation if we remember the Apostle Paul. Do you remember Paul? The one who was persecuting and hunting down Christians? Who had an experience with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus? who was transformed and became one of the most influential missionaries of the early church, who brought the good news of God and Jesus Christ all throughout the Mediterranean, and who spread the gospel in powerful and transforming ways. Imagine, would you? The leadership and testimony of Judas, the transformed one, the one who had betrayed Jesus and who Jesus loved anyway. Imagine the bigger story that God wanted to tell through Judas. The world is never better off without us. Because with God, there's always a bigger story. And so perhaps today is an important day for you if you're struggling with thoughts, with ideas. Perhaps today is the day God's Spirit wants to move in you to reach out and to know that you are not alone and to know that there's a church and there are people who want to love you and meet you in your pain and your anguish and walk this journey with you. See, rather than shunning the idea of suicide and not talking about it, we have, a, we have a story, another story about an attempted suicide in scripture that shows the church who it's supposed to be. And it includes Paul. Paul, on his missionary journeys, is arrested and is thrown in jail. And there in that jail cell, he worships with with those who are with him. And in praising God, the whole night, uh, suddenly an earthquake occurs and throws open the jail doors. And the prisoners escape and flee. And the the jailer comes back and realizes that everyone has escaped and that this is going to be on him and feels such shame and regret and remorse and sorrow, just can't see any way forward and prepares to fall on his sword when from the jail cell comes the voice of Paul. I'm still here. Don't do it. I'm with you. That's the church. That's who we're called to be. To not be afraid of the hard conversations and the difficulties. To not be afraid of talking about suicide. Talking about suicide does not increase the likelihood of suicide taking place. But instead, with courageous conversation, trusting the deeper way of Christ's love to be there for each other and to respond in love and understanding, to put aside judgment and to see the complexity of hardship and difficulty that we are facing together more than we realize or know. And to trust that with God, there's always a bigger story. There was a bigger story for Judas that the church needs to tell. There's a bigger story for each of us that God wants to tell. There's a bigger story for me, and there's a bigger story for you. And it begins when we reach out to the risen Christ, who is always yearning to meet us just where we are. Thanks for listening to the message this week. Visit Southelcorncc.org, where you can download reflection and discussion guides to dig deeper into the weekly scripture and message.